Hey folks, Nick Kesher here, back for episode four of the Impact Sprint, 14 stories of heartbeats and footprints. Last time, we talked about the significance of one meeting, my profound interaction with Ergen Lama, and how it transformed our outlook, rejuvenated our resolve, and added new dimensions to what we were trying to build in Nepal. But what comes after that meeting? Well, that's when the real hard work starts. It's all well and good drafting up ideas in a meeting room in Kathmandu or London or Nairobi or wherever you call home. But it's a whole other thing to bring those plans into reality. And when you're working in Nepal, in rural villages that can take days to get to or simply impossible to reach during certain months of the year, you better be willing to roll up your sleeves, get dirty and be utterly fearless. Today, we dive into the highs and lows of the weeks that followed the meeting with Ergen. It's important to note two things here. One, there were meetings happening every single day whilst I was out there. Some formal, some quick coffees, some including a rather large beer tab. The ones my memory is now cherry picking for this podcast series are simply the ones that, with the hindsight I now have the advantage of tapping into, were either turning points or learning points. The last episode was a turning point, but this one here today is a learning point as we begin to unwrap the core elements we seek out to make a vision come to life and what makes an event we create truly special and unique. This story is all around partnerships and how we found the right team members. In our first episode, we covered the importance of location from a geographical and national perspective. Which countries can we work in? Which countries do people want to visit? Obviously, this is not where the story ends. Nepal is not shy of powerful social impact stories. and It's not shy of incredible trail running. It's also not shy of incredible vistas and welcoming communities. No. You can pop a blindfold on, pick up a dart, throw it towards the map of Nepal, and you'll hit upon all four of these elements. It's a spectacular place, but there are immense challenges working there. I shall leave the bureaucracy, language barriers, religions, internal political complexity between different tribes and castes to one side for now. Let's just focus on geography. It should come as no surprise that the nation that hosts the largest mountain peaks on earth, the home of the Himalayas, is not an entirely flat country. But until you attempt to road travel outside of the flats of the bowl of Kathmandu, you cannot comprehend the immense elevation shifts and difficulties this presents. Do not rely on Google Maps for an accurate estimation of your journey time. More likely you need to double and then double that again. A simple 20 kilometer journey on what looks like a main road is actually 90 minutes of bouncing and bumping. And that's in dry season. You wait until monsoons hit when you'll have to tiptoe that route on a motorbike with a foot-wide dry patch acting as your guide, your back end slip-sliding all over the shop at the slightest ill-timed movement of your handlebars. It's at this point you question, why is this road not tarmac? There's not an inconsiderable infrastructure budget spent each year in Nepal. Surely these main arteries to and from the Boston capital Kathmandu should be a place to spend these funds. The thing is, the funds are spent and respent. Regularly respent. Each time there's an earthquake or a small shake or a landslide caused by monsoons or potholes caused 
by the overweight vehicles that press water down into the cracks of quickly rebuilt roads, only to worsen the problem within months with pothole upon pothole upon pothole. Not to mention the treacherous conditions workers face on the roads with deep valley drops to one side and high rock walls to the other as the road winds in and out of the contours of the mountains and the hills each time the road cuts in towards the mountain the potential for waterfalls increases now there's a cliche around Nepali people that says they're resilient now I, I, I hate cliches they generalize and that they is is way too complex to really be summed up in one word and it becomes easy to fall back on such cliches. But I can't avoid it when it comes to Nepal. Resilience comes through every single day you spend out there. As elements change, be they roads, weather, economics, whatever life throws your way, the communities adapt, resiliently shifting shape to accommodate this new reality. I was introduced to two organizations who might be able to help with the logistics we were trying to put together for the first Nepal Impact Marathon. The first team had an idea for a village and wanted to take me up to see the spot. So early morning they dropped by my house, I jumped into a 4 by 4 with a group of guys and we laughed, chatted and discussed the mission all the way up the decent road that leaves Kathmandu heading into St. Apalchuk region. This road had been rebuilt a few months earlier so it was in decent condition. And for the first hour or two we wound our way through uh, through the villages and towns on the outskirts, the suburbs, you could say, of Kathmandu. And we stopped for a roadside breakfast of a boiled egg and spicy beans washed down with a tea, if memory serves, and carried on our way up the valley road. This was my first time outside Kathmandu, and I gazed out the windows at the peaks that filled the skies above our vehicle. These foothills already stood at double the altitude of the highest peak in the UK, their foreboding silhouettes against the overcast sky were a sight to behold it below the river bursting with the last remnants of the monsoon season rushed past the side of the road on their way to the southern regions of the country the journey became ever more bouncy before we finally turned off the a road and bounced upwards on the type of road you've only ever seen in films those sharp u-turn switchbacks sheer drops in the muddy terrain On arrival, the team showed me around the village and we explored what infrastructure was currently there and what we would need to bring in. They were cool guys. No one seemed phased by what we wanted to do, build a pop-up athletes village to stay. That, to me, seemed the most complex element at the time. Social impact, that's kind of easy. This was a village where rebuilding was only just starting from the April earthquake and we were still six months removed from then. And there was all manner of different things that we would need to be doing in this community. And most of the community had taken the government handouts of sheet metal. So this was all you could see across the, the village. Sheet metal to shelters where their homes had used to be. And as for the trail running part, well, that's always possible in Nepal. There's always an unreal trail to race through somewhere in any village. We finished up eating and after a successful day, I'd enjoyed my time with the team. They were relaxed and seemed to understand the project, even if they didn't fully connect with it. I had zero complaints, but also I didn't feel an immediate connection to say, yes, this is the place, and these are the guys. We started to trek back to the car, and as we did, the first drop of rain hit our heads. In monsoon season in Nepal, you now have about eight seconds to find shelter before that solitary raindrop becomes a biblical downpour. 
By the time we reached the vehicle, we were wet through and worse, the vehicle now had to find a way down off the mountain as the roads got ever more wet and the mud turned into a porridge-esque sludge to work through. Within a few hundred metres, the vehicle wheels were spinning and one chap, the youngest of the crew of course, jumped out and began digging away at the wet mud with his bare hands. But no one else moved. I kept looking outside and seeing this guy fighting away, drenched to the bone, and yet everyone in the vehicle just kept chatting away. I couldn't hack it, I couldn't stand it. I jumped out and began grasping at the mud and digging the wheels out, replacing the mud with a few rocks to provide enough purchase for some full momentum. And we would inch our way, cover a few more metres, before it was back to square one and we began digging again. The two of us were knee-deep in mud, soaked to the core, but continued to dig around each wheel time and time and time again. Five hours later, we climbed back into the vehicle to join the other five team members who were dry as a bone, warm from the climate control, and chatting away like we didn't exist. These were not the right guys to help deliver a Nepal Impact Marathon. Not because I felt above such tasks, no, it was perversely enjoyable, but because when we face challenges, we face them together. We get the car off the mountain together. We work together. I knew from our collective experience putting together Uganda just how much these weeks take out of you. I knew we'd fallen down in that team due to the strength of our individual egos. And although we had worked our absolute hardest, our relations had still been pushed to their limits and beyond. I knew if Impact had any chance to scale beyond just one race, we needed to have all-in characters, with the ego, including my own, fully in check, and a mission to serve each other, serve the community, and serve the runners. I arrived back home after that day, entirely covered in mud, stomped up the seven flights of steps to my room, and an ice-cold shower, but a warm bed. Downbeat but excited. Okay, it hadn't worked out with that location or the team, but just a few weeks ago, my office looked out over London with glass meeting rooms and a fun beach set up in the corner where you could work from a deck chair. Today, my office had been the bloody Himalayas with monsoons and bright blue rivers and communities where we could have a truly life-changing impact. We were on the right course, I was on the right course, just needed to keep calibrating, keep pushing. And we had to find the right person. Tune in tomorrow to see the second part of this learning point and what I gained from these two diametrically opposed moments. One in the deep monsoons when I stood outside with one other team member and we dug our way off a mountain. And the next... Well, you're just going to have to find out tomorrow. See you then.